are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Diker. Thanks for joining me for episode 44, The Great Font Debate. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. Appellate lawyers are writers, persuasive writers, with an attention to detail. It's just who we are. We are definitely all about what our writing says, but we also care about how our writing looks. This includes a lot of factors, but the most important factor may be the font. The font is the essence of the written expression. Fonts convey a feeling, an attitude, a style. But as Florida appellate lawyers, we had no real choice before now. Courier knew an antiquated fixed-space font was not a real option. Fixed-space fonts looked like they came off a typewriter. Old-fashioned, but not in that cool, hipster, retro kind of way. So we were left with Times New Roman, a proportionally spaced serif font that was staid, boring, and utterly generic, but also very functional. No one was ever bothered or offended by Times New Roman. It became the standard fare. Fast forward to January 1, 2021, and now Times New Roman is out. It's no longer an option. The rule now gives us two new choices, Bookman Old Style or Arial, both in a 14-point size. Now, how we got here and why, that was covered in episode 43. The goal for this episode is to talk about the new fonts and their implications for appellate writing. So I'm joined by Thomasina Moore of the Statewide Guardian Ad Litem Office, Kim Berman of Marshall Dennehy in Fort Lauderdale, and Nick Shanine of the Shanine Law Firm in Orlando. Thanks to all of you for joining me. So, Nick, I, I have to start with this. I mean, we know you don't need any excuse to be on the podcast, but no, uh, when, it comes, when it comes to the font rule change, um, you pulled a stunt that has tied you forever to this moment in time. You filed the first ever brief in a Florida appellate court uh, under the new rules, and we should say in Bookman old style. So can you tell me how that came to happen? Uh, I'd be happy to, and uh, and yes, uh, I I it is a rare thing for any appellate attorney to get the opportunity to truly be first uh, in any uh, particular thing because most of our rules that we work under are are rules of old, uh, and uh, and so new new opportunities don't arrive, and even when they do, it's often hard to. Uh, be assured that yours was actually, you know, the first foot atop the mountain, uh, the first plane to to cross the ocean. In, in my case, it's the first brief to be filed under the brand new 9.045 rule, allowing for these two uh, sparkling new fonts uh, to be allowed to be used for our appellate briefing. Uh, so your your question is, how did this come to be? And essentially, it's it's this that I had a brief that was due. Uh, the day before Christmas Eve, December 23rd. And uh, obviously, most of us practitioners, and you don't have to be an appellate practitioner not to want to be uh, working away uh, on Christmas Eve or even Christmas Eve Eve. So uh, I asked my opposing counsel for the traditional and customary 
extension. And I, I only asked for 10 days because I was already pretty close to, to being done. And, uh, and she said, uh, sure, of course, as most of us appellate practitioners do, we always freely consent to uh, extensions uh, in, in any reasonable construct. And so she said, of course, but then, you know, she was uh, being kind and noted, but you'll probably want to file it a couple of days before then, because of course we have that rule change coming. Uh, and I, I told her, you know, that's true, but I think I'm going to purposefully wait until after the rule change to file it, uh, because I would love to take advantage of the new font options. And if I can time it out right, who knows? Maybe I can even be first. <laughs> so that that was from whence the uh, the opportunity came. And and uh, and she laughed at that and said th that I was clearly a glutton for punishment, uh, but uh, that I was welcome to the time and I could do file it when I wished. So I, uh, I, of course it, it, it grew in my mind. The, uh, the opportunity was there and, uh, you know, to not take advantage of that opportunity, the once in a lifetime opportunity that was before me, I just couldn't not do that. So, uh, I had completely finished my brief, uh, by say December 28th, but I did not file it on December 28th, nor the 9th nor the 30th, and definitely not on the 31st, and instead held on uh, to uh, to await the stroke of midnight. But as we know uh, from wisely listening to your prior podcast, it was not the stroke of midnight when the rule change happened, but in fact, three minutes after, 12.03. Uh, and, and since you all discussed that in the last uh, podcast, I won't, won't repeat stuff here, but because it was 12.03, I had to make sure that uh, it, it, to wait those... 180 seconds to uh to pass before uh hitting the fire button and uh and away it went and the rest is history the first ever appellate brief appropriately filed in bookman old style or any other font under rule 9.045 was timely filed at 1203 and 12 seconds uh january 1 2021 so nick I, i'm picturing this i'm i'm picturing you you know Watching the ball drop in your home uh, with a glass of champagne, kissing your lovely wife at midnight, and then running to your computer to file this brief. Is that about right? It, it, everything about that is exactly right, except I, I am going to have to tell on myself here and put myself in the category of uh, worst bosses ever. Um, I, I did, in fact, have that exact experience at midnight. And except instead of pressing the fire button myself, it was the text to my unbelievably wonderful assistant, Courtney Stouffer, who gets her name on the podcast to say, whenever you're ready, hit it. Uh, <laughs> and so, and so she, she said, yes, sir. Boom. And, uh, and then she hit the fireworks gif or gif, depending on your interpretation on that debate, but we won't go down that road. Um, and uh, and uh, then sent me, the second thing she sent me after the fireworks was the uh, the image of the time-stamped brief showing that she had pulled it off and actually cut it even closer to the line than I would have dared myself. So good on her to, to get it only 12 seconds after. That was, that was pretty amazing. 
So I'm sure it was worth it to her to give up her uh, New Year's Eve just to be a part of this momentous moment. <laughs> <laughs> to to call her a trooper is to underdo the word trooper. She 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 did not give it up for New Year's Eve. She was also having her festivities, but she had she knew what what the mission was and she was in. So bless well, her. Congratulations, Nick. That will be an appellate Jeopardy answer at some point in the future. So you're you're indelibly uh, in the history books. Thank you, good sir. Appreciate the opportunity to tell the story. Now, Thomasina, um, I know your office, the statewide guardian ad litem office, handles a high volume of appeals statewide, and I happen to know that you have at least filed one brief already. Isn't that right? Yes, we have filed. Uh, Many, many more than one brief already, but but we've definitely done at least one. So now, are you planning to standardize the font choice across the Guardian of Item office for all briefs? We are, but first I have to say, you know, kudos to Nick, and I've got to up my lawyer goals. I have never sat by the computer watching the time go down to file a brief and making sure I, I was the first to do it. Um, reserve that for, you know, standing by and watching the clock to score an upgrade on travel all the time, but never once occurred to me to do that. So I, I've got up my lawyer game, but we are actually going to, to answer your question, doing yes, going to standardize the briefs. It's a practice we've actually had in practice uh, for years at the um, Guardian Ad Litem program and one we've always done even through the Defending Best Interest Project, which is the pro bono project that we run with the appellate practice section, which the three of you know, because you've all done briefs for it. Um, APS has been fantastic in its support of that. And so we're continuing that into the new year. And we have, as a group, decided to use Bookman. Um, we would have, if, if they hadn't agreed, I, I like Bookman myself. So that's the way we were going to go. Um, but it's um, interesting because my entire team actually ended up preferring Bookman. And so it was unanimous vote there. Um, but uh, we'll tell you, we have had to change one brief, and that would be one of my fellow, fellow podcast panelists, Ms. Berman, who prefers Ariel. <laughs> I, I, I heard that story. <laughs> I'm guilty. That's true. <laughs> So, Kim, have you had an opportunity other other than your 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 brief that got hijacked uh, by the Guardian and Items office font wise? Have you filed anything else yet? It's as we're recording. I'll say this is we're very early in the new year. It's just been a couple of days. It, it, that is correct. No, my my brief was hijacked. Bookman. I have another one that I'm working on. I'm waiting for an order on an extension because it actually just got transferred or is getting transferred from the circuit court. So that's a whole other mess that you've been talking about. That's welcome mess once they straighten it all out. But I do have a brief ready to go in Ariel and I will be filing it as soon as I get that order. Um, I was, I was surprised um, because I was excited that I was on top of the rule to be able to tell the guardian alum, hey, it's a great brief, but it's not going to be current with the rule if it's filed after the date. And then it came back to me with Bookman. So it was fine. I was happy to, you know, file it in the manner that the gal had um, chosen was the best option. But for me personally, and we'll talk about it more soon, I'm going to be using Ariel. See, I, I heard a rumor that Kim is actually investigating appellate review of the choice of font for the guardian ad litem or the hijacking of the briefs. And so, you know, we'll see. 
she might still try to pursue that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I did a little bit of research into the filings in my home district. Uh, the second DCA clerk was nice enough to tell me that the first brief uh, filed under the new rules in the second district court of appeal was in Bookman old style. Um, but the second was an aerial. So, uh, you know, clearly there's going to be some difference of opinion on the new fonts and it will be interesting to see over time, uh, which font will be more commonly used. I mean, I guess we'll all sort of have a, an understanding of, of what we see, uh, coming through our desks. I don't know. It'd be a little bit harder maybe to do a survey, uh, statewide, but I think at some point we'll probably kind of figure it out. But let me back up just a minute before we talk about these two fonts. And my, f- my first question is, is, is anybody going to miss Times New Roman? Um, you know, that has been the standard font forever. Um, not really, but uh, since 2001. But a lot of people used it even before it was required. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very plain vanilla, uh, very unoffensive font. But um, do any of you, are you going to miss it? Absolutely not. <laughs> So very much, yes. I, I, I um, like Times New Roman. I use it in correspondence, briefs, and when I work in the trial court, we'll still be using Times New Roman since uh, they were not able to get a con- consistent rule adopted for the trial courts as well. So we'll be sticking with Times New Roman there. And I guess I'm going to be in between them that uh, you heard one who who couldn't wait to switch and one who who uh, wishes they could stick with it. And I, I will I will miss it. Uh, you know, 25 years of using Times New Roman. It's hard to 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 completely let it go that I would have preferred to have had, you know, the option to have all of those same you know fonts still still in the shop. I would have still used Bookman going forward. I do prefer the Bookman font. But uh, but Times New Roman's a classic, and uh, and definitely deserves to be wistfully remembered at at the very least. Yeah, I think I I tend to agree with you, Nick. I, I'm not offended by Times uh, New Roman. It's it's fine. Um, I do see though. Um, I do see that it it can be kind of tight. Uh, the lettering with the proportional spacing and the way the fonts. Uh, uh, Kern and space, you know, I can see that it's a, it's a tighter font, uh, that could be, you know, there could be some legibility issues. I, I think it will be hard to get used to, uh, not seeing briefs in times new Roman, but I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's okay. And I understand the reasons why, but, um, Tom Hall and I talked on the last episode about the process that, uh, for picking these fonts and, and I was kind of surprised. Um, I didn't realize uh, how this went down, uh, you know, it, apparently in the absence of some sort of clear scientific or objective answer about what fonts are most legible, it really came down to a a polling of the appellate judges in Florida at one fixed point in time, which at this point is about four years ago, and they picked the fonts that they liked uh, the best. And, you know, I'm just curious what, obviously we we don't want to speak ill of judges. We never do. But uh, do we think that that's fair, that only appellate judges got to weigh in on the font choice? Dwayne, do we know if the law clerks were also given the poll or if it was just the judges? 
You know, it actually went through like the chief judge, I believe, in HDCA. I, I asked about that. I asked if I could see the survey that was sent out, and it was a little less formal than that. Uh, I think that there was a point of contact at each court. So uh, how much was done in each court to really get to the bottom of what people wanted, it's not clear to me. Gotcha. I think that it was fair to get the judge's input. They're the ones who are reading the briefs. They're the ones who are making the decisions. But at the same time, I think that they should have possibly given the appellate practitioners an opportunity to weigh in as well, because we're the ones writing the briefs. We're the ones editing the briefs. And so it would have been nice to provide some sort of input. But I do think ultimately the the reasoning behind everything to change it from the Times New Roman and the Courier New, which you asked about whether or not we're going to miss Times New Roman, because I think you assume that we all use Times New Roman and not Courier New. But we had the option of Courier New, and most people gravitated away from the Courier New because it was so much like a typewriter, and and we're using Times New Roman. So it'll be interesting, you know, going forward, seeing if everybody gravitates towards one, and if Ariel becomes the Courier New of of the old rule, and Bookman the Times New Roman of the new rule. Once we all get situated, but either way, I think it was fair that the judges had an opportunity to weigh in. I, I do think that the attorneys, the the regularly practicing appellate attorney should have possibly had an opportunity to comment. But at the end of the day, I think the result would have probably been the same. You're right. And I did assume that everybody uh, that I know is using Times New Roman because I think everybody I know was. Um, because Courier was such a an outdated, you know, outmoded, just old-fashioned font because it was a fixed space font and because it was emulating a typewriter. You know, I did occasionally get briefs from people in Courier. I, I hesitate to characterize them as less sophisticated uh, appellate lawyers, but you know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was unusual. It was highly unusual to get a brief in career, but it would happen occasionally. I, I imagine that that's not going to happen with Ariel and Bookman. I think they're both valid, you know, modern choices where, you know, courier was a holdover, you know, Tom Hall suggested that it was a holdover to uh, government agencies back then that still didn't have the technology to use proportionally spaced fonts, which seems just crazy. You know, that's a funny, funny comment, um, because one of the reasons I'm going to miss Times New Roman is that in the world I practice in with dependency law and, and working in termination proceedings, I think the guardian ad litem is the only uh, party that used Times New Roman. The Department of Children and Families uniformly used Courier New. We don't counsel's office pretty much uniformly used Courier New. That was the default font. Um, so it was much more widespread. And as you probably know, there's hundreds of those filed every single year. Uh, in 2019, we approached 800 files last year with the, you know, pandemic, it was about 600 briefs. So it was much less, but still quite a lot of them being filed in that font. And one of the reasons I liked the Courier New or Times New Roman and will miss it is kind of a source of pride in my team in that I liked the Guardian Ad Litem briefs standing out even visually. I wanted anyone looking at it, including the clerks, just 
to know this is ours and this is our product and you should go read this first or, you know, gravitate towards it. Um, and, and so that's, that's one of the reasons I'm going to miss it because I do think there'll be more of a mix. I'm already seeing a little bit more of a mix. So I'm going to work, you know, lose that a little bit. And I really so proud of what my team does. And I think they do such a great job. Um, I'm going to miss it standing out in that visual way. No, that's a great point, Thomasina. And it's just good. one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because your appellate experience uh, is much different than than what what uh, Nick or Kim or I go through do, dealing more with, uh, you know, private attorneys and less with the government agencies and that sort of thing. So it sounds like, you know, the government still maybe still like career. <laughs> Uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me. I, I, I actually, that was probably the very first thing I did. Um, I took over as director of appeals in 17, and I think it was my first day. I told everybody, you're switching to Times New Roman. Deal with it. <laughs> and there was a collective loss of minds, just like amongst the larger group of appellate practitioners right now. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it's amazing what a personal, you know, <laughs> how personally offensive uh, dictating someone's font can be, I guess. <laughs> no. So are there other fonts, before we talk about Bookman and Ariel specifically, are there other fonts anybody thinks should have been in the running, other favorite fonts? Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> Any serious choices for alternate fonts? I like Georgia. Um, Georgia is very, very easy to read. Um, Garamond was one of my favorites, but Garamond is more for books, and I understand why the change is now – to make it more readable for electronics. So I would understand why Garamond wouldn't be popular, but I grew up reading so many books in print still do. And Garamond is a lot of the font that is used. That's mostly the font that's used in, in real books. So I was um, looking and thinking Georgia might've been an option because Georgia is very similar. It's clean and it would have been good on the, on the web, but I never heard of Bookman personally. I didn't even realize the fourth DCA had been sending their opinions out on Bookman all these years. I always did their opinions and thought they looked weird spacing wise, but I didn't know what font it was because it always came in as a PDF. So I had never really heard of Bookman until the rule was changed. Yeah. Yeah. Bookman is also a long, you know, has a long history that, um, that I'm going to cover in the podcast too. But uh, yeah, Georgia was one, another font. Uh, I looked at some of the notes that came back from the DCAs. That was another one that was discussed. Century School Book was one, uh, be, probably because it's used by the uh, United States Supreme Court. Uh, there were, you know, a few um, other choices discussed at the time. I, I'm, I'm with Kimberly and liking Georgia as well. I, I, it would have been a fine third option to have put in there. And and I think it would have been okay to have kept Times New Roman as as a fourth option, and uh, you know, given practitioners an opportunity to to choose their palette the way they 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 like it. But uh, at the same time, we're not the ones reading day in and day out, brief after brief. And uh, if the appellate judges focused on these two, I, I I like the choices that they made, so I'm I'm good with them. Yeah, that leads me to my next question: was I wonder if two two fonts. I wonder if two fonts is is too many or too few. You know, should should we have been given more more options or or less options? I think there's arguments in both directions. And having just said what I said, I, I I'll stick by it. I would have preferred a couple more options just to 
you know, make it a, a little more lively. Uh, and a, a variety is in my mind, good. Um, I can see that it, it would not be the world's worst thing to actually have a single choice where the initial brief, the answer brief and the reply brief all have the same font. If, you know, when we, we read them, obviously we tend to read them, you know, spaced out in time. But, uh, when our appellate judges or law clerks read them, they read them all back to back to back. Um, and so, you know, we, we don't like the chapters in our books to look differently. And I would imagine that, that they might prefer all of the briefs to look the same, but the re the reality is even with the fonts, the same, our styles are going to be different. The way that uh, the cadence works is going to be different. The setting of the various, uh, you know, argument headings, it's, there's going to be differences galore anyway. So that uniformity will never be achieved. And I'm, I'm kind of glad it'll never be achieved. I like those differences. Um, so in my mind, I think it would have been neat to have had a couple more fonts, but I'm glad we at least have a couple, uh, to, to provide a little bit of variety in there. I agree with Nick. I, I think that two is small, but it is a choice. If we just had one font, it would be an order. It would be a rule of requirement. This is all you can do. And there would be less creativity, less flexibility. I also think it wouldn't allow us to really, figure out what works best when we're writing, because as although it's easier to read, it's also your brain works in a different way when you're writing. And it's very different from hand to paper than it is from typing to paper. And I bet there's some statistics and studies that'll show that it's different when you're typing a different. I know my brain processes and my creativity flows better personally in some fonts than others. So I will switch it at back and forth as I'm writing or, or editing because of the way my brain is processing. And so I think that if we would have um, had one choice, it would not have been enough. It would have been too much of an uproar. If we would have had four choices, it might've been too much. And then there would might've been too much inconsistency. So I'm, I think that two is probably the right amount of choices to give us the option and also to make it somewhat consistent. So when they are reading the briefs, they're able to actually read them consistently and not have their eyes, you know, boggle off the screen. I think I'm, I'm more pragmatic in that. I'm like, okay, those are the choices. That's the rule. And I, I can adjust to that without too much qualms that, you know, if I can't have my Times New Roman, I don't really care if it's two choices or four choices and you know i will probably grow to love one of the others but to nick's point keeping creativity is is important um and i think that we're fortunate that the change was made at a time when so much can be done with using pictures in a brief or instead of for instance typing a transcript or question and answer, I have one attorney who just puts a screenshot of the actual deposition page in or the trial transcript page. And there's so many more things we can do along those lines now to break up briefs or to individualize them and, and make them more unique. So I am glad that as we get more homogenized, that there's still the ability to add those creative touches that we all come up with. Yeah, definitely. And the, the the related rule change, right, is the word count as opposed to the page count, which we probably don't have time to get into that. But that does, I think what you're alluding to is it, it opens up some possibilities for 
more white space, more formatting, more bulleted lists, you know, that sort of thing that we, we couldn't do before because of page limits. And now that we have character limits, we can spread things out a little bit and be more creative in how we visually present our arguments. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at 877-810-5525, and their contact information is always in the show notes. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency that sits with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. I suggest you take a moment, visit their website, courtsurety.com. It's full of valuable resources, including a state-by-state guide to appeal bond requirements and a comprehensive FAQ on collateral, underwriting, and the application process. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. So regardless of what we what we want or what we think, we, we are down to two choices. We have Bookman Old Style and we have Ariel. And I think we've already previewed sort of where the three of you stand on this, but let's get down to the nitty gritty. Nick, uh, you've picked Bookman Old Style. Uh, why? Well, I'm going to admit that the uh, idea uh, is not mine in as much as uh, my uh, former partner at the the Shanine Law Firm was Pam Masters, who I had uh, stolen, so to speak, from the Fifth District Court of Appeals, where she was the clerk of court uh, prior to joining my firm. And she was back then, uh, several years ago, a huge fan of Bookman, uh, had extolled frequently that it would be advantageous if we could write our briefs in Bookman. Uh, and even suggested a little insurrection of, uh, of, of let's see what happens if we filed a brief with it and see if they catch it. Uh, she wasn't serious, and we didn't do that. But the fact that she felt as passionately about Bookman uh, was contagious because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go with an analogy here. I am a appreciator of adult beverages, um, and, and wine would be one of those. There are those whom have a much sharper sense of taste than I do. And when they like a particular red wine, I'm going to tend to defer to them. Uh, and uh, as long as I find that that wine is actually still tasty to me. Um, and that's that's what happened with this font, that uh, she loved it. She told me it was the most readable. She wished we could use it. And I I fell in love with it by proxy. So once the opportunity came about, I seized it and obviously wasted literally no time in implementing uh, the use of Bookman in my firm's practice. <laughs> nice. Um, Thomasina, same question for you. Is what, As between the two, uh, why Bookman? I took a random sample that had, you know, some bold in it and other um differences in, in from just generic writing and I converted it to from Times New Roman to both Bookman and to Ariel. And when I saw the Ariel, I don't know why, but my immediate reaction was someone was yelling at me. And it was just like a font that yelled at me and I just had a very visceral negative reaction to it. And so just decided at that moment that we weren't going there. 
So would you say you went to it with an open mind when you, and you know, when you looked at these samples and just picked the one that spoke to you? Absolutely. I, I hadn't really thought about either one in particular before that. So I just random test. Kim, you have probably figured out by now that one of the reasons you were invited to the podcast uh, is that I needed someone to advocate for Ariel as a font choice. And and I think that's going to be you, right? <laughs> that is me. And oh, I to hear that the reason I chose it is because my daughter likes Ariel from Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> that is as valid a reason as any, uh, perhaps better than most. Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but actually, before I even had my daughter, I started using Ariel in a lot of trial court pleadings and found it to be very readable. And I even changed my outlook. I think your outlook and Microsoft Outlook defaults to Calibri or one other font. And I changed my font to Arial and to 12-point font, and I've been using that for quite some time. And I think part of the reason I do that is because when I read and I th see things, I like a clean font. I like something that is simple. I like something that's bright. My vision isn't very good. It's gotten worse as I got older. And so for me, looking at the black and white screen, that's the best dichotomy, the black on the white and the Arial it like pops out. So to me, you read it much better when it's brighter and without any font changes. So whereas like with the Times New Roman, it would be spaced out a lot more. But when you're looking at like on your phone, if you sent yourself a draft or something that got filed, it was always very difficult to read on Times New Roman. It would stretch out. It would look funny. It would look too close together at times. But I find with Arial, with the brightness and with the, you know, the clean strokes. And I do like serif fonts in, in other things. I really do. As a communications major in public relations, there was always, font was so important in order to convey a message. And that's why you see Arial is everywhere. It's on reports, it's on presentations, it's on magazines, it's on billboards, it's on your your UPS like packaging label. Your, your eyes are used to seeing it. I think um, it was a logical choice for me because it's, it's not that much of a change as opposed to the bookman. I've never seen it. And so now I filed my first brief and it wasn't bookman and I still look at it and read it. And I'm having trouble because my, my eyes and my head aren't processing the same way that they process it in Ariel. I, I will make that up to you, Kim, but awesome. the Ariel is not just popping out. It's yelling at you. That's what it is. <laughs> hey, I'm used to yelling around here with two little ones. <laughs> so, Kim, do you think that your preference is is primarily a sans serif font over a serif font? I mean, would you have do you would you pick Helvetica over Times Roman? I mean, is it is it is it a serif issue as much as anything else? I don't think so. I don't because I like, like I said, like Georgia, I think Georgia has a serif, you know, I like some of these other fonts that have the, the serif. I feel that the, the fonts with the serif are fancy. And as a lawyer, you always expect, oh, you're going to do fancier stuff, but you don't need to. Just like we don't need to write Latin to convey the lawyer that we're a lawyer and that we know what we're talking about. We don't need to write in a fancy font in order to show that we're professional and we're a lawyer. And so with my personal background in, in public relations and other things where cleaner fonts are used to convey messages, I, I think that it, it depends on what it is. And I still, I actually did 
to make mine a little bit different. I changed my cover page a little bit and I have like a slight tweak of the font in the cover page modeling um, briefs that are filed in the Supreme Court. And so I feel like I have a little bit of a, a, you know, so I start out looking at it where it's not as boring as it gets when you open it up and see it's Ariel. Nice. I, I like that tweak. Good job, Kimberly. Um, I, I, Dwayne, I'm going to throw in one other reason why Ariel might not be the choice for everyone. Um, I've got a good friend of mine, Lauren Ilvento, and she has co-authored a couple of family law briefs with me, a couple of which have gotten nice opinions too. Uh, but she considers Ariel to be the devil's font. And, and the reason why is her last name is capital I L V E N T O. <laughs> and as as she points out, when you type her last name in Ariel, it's got a straight line for the I and, of course, a straight line for the L. And, uh, you know, in Spanish, that might be evento. Um, and so her, her frequency is, you know, type out the name Eileen. If your name's Eileen, you hate Ariel. Uh, so for those people with an I and an L uh, anywhere in their name or, or or in words that they might use a lot, uh, then uh, Ariel might have this one particular tweak that uh, that drives them crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. I as soon as soon as you said that, I knew where that was going to go. <laughs> I, I will tell you at my at this point, I think that my choice is going to be uh, Bookman Old Style. Um, I haven't filed a brief yet, but I did file a notice of appearance, and now with the rule, the way it's configured, it governs all filings in the appellate court, so I had to make sure I was in a font, and I filed it in Bookman. I will tell you, I do like sans serif fonts. Um, I've always liked Helvetica and later Arial, uh, which are very similar. And if you've gotten an email from me, it's probably probably in Calibri, which is another sans serif font. But when it comes to long form legal writing, I just I tend to prefer a serif font uh, to me. And this kind of goes to what you were saying, Kim, the, the flip side. To me, it feels like it has more credibility. I think there are some studies that back this up. Now, there's probably, you can probably find a study that says anything that you want. But the idea is that uh, serif fonts look more like traditionally printed books, which uh, people perceive as being more credible than writings produced, you know, on a computer, which, you know, silly, silly, I know, but I guess you can't change, uh, you can't change human nature. So to me, um, I don't necessarily love uh, Bookman. It's not my favorite uh, of the serif fonts, but it's the serif font that's available. I do like the fact that it is sort of open. It's looser, I guess. There's more white space. It, it does clearly seem to be easier to read to me than than Times New Roman. So uh, I think that, that that will be my choice. I will tell you, though, and I, I brought this up to to you all beforehand, there's one thing that I don't like, really don't like about Bookman is to me, and, and other people have said this too, so I don't think I'm alone. Some of the italic characters in in Bookman are a little bit odd to me. They're very like swoopy or unusual. Um, some of the characters have descenders that aren't there in the non-italic uh, version. It's It's a little bit strange to me. Am I the only one? You're the only one. (laughs) (laughs) 
So let me ask you something, Dwayne. If you find that to be the case, are you going to be underlying your case citations or are you going to still italicize them? Well, that's that's the issue. I really hate underlining. <laughs> right. I don't like underlining either. I've been doing um, italicizing my cases. So if that's an issue in the bookman, is it going to lead you in the direction of underlining rather than italicizing your citations? It will probably lead me in the direction of swallowing hard and just dealing with it. You know what I mean? I just I, <laughs> that works too. <laughs> I probably uh, dislike the italic form less than I dislike underlining. I, I just I detest underlining. I take it out of my headings. I, I I don't like it. I certainly don't like it for case names. It's another. It just feels like a typewriter throwback again to me and. I also think there's some studies that show that underlining text, underlined text is not as legible. So I will probably just um, deal with the italics, but I do think it's, it's a little bit funny looking. And now, now you'll pay attention to that and you'll see ultimately if you, if you agree, I do love the bold um, in, in Bookman, the bold is really, really bold and looks great for uh, headings and that sort of thing. I agree with that. Well, so let me give everybody a chance if there are any last thoughts on these topics or, you know, are we making too much of this? Do fonts really matter? Um, you know, our, as appellate lawyers, we, we have strong opinions, but um, is this is this going to be the next one space, two space debate? Nick, what do you think? I I do not think this is going to be the hill that we all live on and die on the way that one space, two space has become. And the answer, of course, is two spaces um, that I, I think both of these choices they have provided us are fine choices, unless your name's Lauren Elvento and then maybe not. Uh, but they're they're excellent options. And, uh, you know, these these are the kind of things that appellate lawyers pay a lot of attention to. And the rest of the world looks at us funny. Uh, and I'm fine with that. That's that's why we're we're where we are. And. Uh, I, I like this new opportunity. Obviously I've seized upon it. And, uh, so my last word will be first. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Thomasina, what do you think? I think Nick's wrong. These aren't the things that just appellate lawyers look at. And I only say that because, um, when I was getting ready for the podcast, I looked at a couple articles and apparently two years ago, Snapchat made a minor change to their font and everyone went crazy. So fonts are a much more um, universal topic than I ever realized until now. But I'm I'm ultimately with Nick. It's, it's not the hill we'll die on. And I should probably ask you to edit this out, Dwayne, but in case anyone hasn't noticed, they're also getting their one or two spaces edited to two spaces in those briefs. Nice. <laughs> well done. Well yes. Done. I love it. <laughs> so, Kim, what, what what do you think? She's never volunteering for me again. That's uh, no, no. In fact, I'm recruiting more volunteers for your Thomas. And I love I the work you do. No, you're awesome. Um, I do think it's we're not making a big deal. I think fonts are very important. I think we're going to continue to see fonts. I think they are, I agree with Nick that these are great choices that we have. In 30 years from now, we might have more choices because there might be new things that they discover and that these become outdated. We don't know that. Um, but I do think that fonts are really important because we are the ones who are advocating in written form. Now, I do think we should start trying to advocate more in pictures and, and graphs and different things. And I think the court would appreciate that. But at the end of the day, 
as lawyers, our trade is as appellate lawyers is in written form and font is what matters. And, and in this case, they chose two great fonts that are going to be readable both on print and both in on the web. And that's that's important. And so I think we need to be looking at this. I think we should probably all have some, you know, discussions. Oh, are you doing Arial? But eventually it'll be, you know, it'd be curious to see if like two or three years from now, if one is chosen over the others. And if all the courts are, are now going to start issuing their opinions in just Bookman, like the Fort DCA was already doing, because these are the only two choices in fonts. So it'll be interesting. No, I agree. And I'm sure that there will be a lot of discussion about these fonts over the next couple, you know, weeks and months. And then eventually it'll be old hat. It'll just be what we do. People will accept it. And uh, we won't talk about it so much until the next time <laughs> that we change fonts and then it will become a thing again. So. And then maybe as appellate attorneys, we can convince our trial folk that they need to get on the right side of the electronic filing and, and have some similar rule. I know there was a, a, a push to do it now and they declined, but in reality, you know, they're everything that trial lawyers are filing that become part of the record that the appellate attorney and the judges still have to read is in these other fonts. So if there's some uniformity, I think that will help everybody going forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know there was some movement in that regard and pushback and, you know, I guess trial courts are still the wild west. So (laughs) it's it's still going to be our job to tame the wild west and to, to set the example, I guess, uh, font wise. So as long as they don't choose comic sans or the other one would be papyrus. If you haven't seen the SNL skit type in SNL and papyrus and it, you, you'll you'll have a good chuckle. Enjoy. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> well, Thomasina, Kim, Nick, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you guys joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks to Thomasina Moore, Kim Berman, and Nick Shanine for today's font debate. I spent two episodes and interviewed four guests about the font rule change. I think we've said it all, but if you still have thoughts about the font change, send me a message. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice. Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Please take a moment, add it to your contacts so you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next episode will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal.